and welcome back to the CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Molly Rao, with my co-host, Jessica Rickert. Today on the podcast, we have Laura Whale, a literacy specialist whose passions include dyslexia and the science of reading. During our conversation, Laura shared with us a huge list of resources she explored in her journey in becoming a better teacher. As she said many times, when we know better, we do better. Welcome, Laura. We're so excited to have you on our podcast. Could you start by giving us a little background, your educational background? Um, Sure. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I started... Wow, I can't remember the year, but um, I started teaching in Montana. That was my first position. Um, And I taught a combination K-1, and I stayed there for about six years. And then my fiance got a job in um, Fort Collins, and so we moved down here. Um, And I I, um, applied for a third grade position, and I was super nervous because I had only taught kinder and first and third grade belt like they were so old and scary. Um, And it ended up being my very, it is my very favorite grade um, as a classroom teacher. They are, it's just that really wild year between, you know, they still call you mom, but they want to also, they're, you know, they're very independent on everything. And so it's a really magical year. Um, And then I taught third grade for several years in Fort Collins, and then I had an opportunity to take a part-time literacy position, Um, and that, I feel like, is where, I mean, I have always been drawn to teaching and always felt really passionate about working with kids, but that first year in my um, literacy position is when I think the sparks really ignited, which is funny because I feel like that's halfway through my career, right? But as soon as I got into that role and I started really focusing on the process of how kids learn to read, I just, it's like I went from zero to a hundred and it's, it is so my passion is, is literacy, um, instruction and intervention. And so I taught, um, at a great little school here in Fort Collins for several years, part-time And then a full-time position opened up um, at another school, McGraw Elementary. And this will be my third year, or I don't know if you count COVID as a (laughs) a year. But um, this position um, has allowed me to really make a lot of changes in our curriculum and um, and. With along with the science of reading movement, it's it's just been an amazing experience so far, and that's where I am right now. That sounds great, and I know along with the science of reading movement, the dyslexia component has come in and has become pretty wide range and pretty important in Colorado. I know there's a lot of focus on that, and you've done a lot of work with the dys. Dyslexia simulation. Can you tell us a little more about that? I'd love to. Um, so I was, I, I appeared at a uh, Fort Collins Reading Council right meeting one day. Um, of, uh, one of my fellow teachers was the president at the time, and so I went to just check it out and see what it was all about. And that was in two thousand eight, 
and I, she immediately roped me in. Mary Stewart, thank you. Um, she got me involved with your organization and, um, well, the local at first, right? And then I pretty much, I have served in every role in our local organization. And, and so much of that is networking with other organizations and other districts. And one of the things that I came across through our local Fort Collins Reading Council is that um, I came into contact with this dyslexia simulation. And part of my journey, I like to call it, that started when I was a literacy interventionist was really questioning about um, why is this, I just will never forget this little girl. She was in fifth grade and she couldn't spell I mean, very simple words that um, you would expect a third or second grader to spell. And I started questioning that. And the more I dug down um, to find out answers, the more they pointed me towards dyslexia. And in my search and my journey, um, I came across the dyslexia simulation, which was offered by the um, Rocky Mountain branch of the International Dyslexia Association. Um, and they offered this class and so I, or simulation, I guess. So I would, I went down and checked it out and it was mind change. I mean, it changed my career. Um, you basically, it's a two hour event. You go, you sit kind of at a table of six people and you go from station to station all together and they put you through very draining mentally draining exercises. And it's not an exact replication of what it feels like to have dyslexia, but it's mentally taxing your brain, just like it feels when you are struggling to remember letters and sounds and um, put those things together. When you have, when your brain is working so hard um, to over, to compensate for a phonological core deficit, you are just exhausted. And I remember going home from that um, simulation with a headache and I had to lay down and take a nap. It was, it really, it builds more empathy than I've ever had. And so, uh, I went back after my nap, right. And, and contacted all of our board members. And I said, we have to get this. Um, I had a friend, I still have a friend at the time, um, Sarissa Stevenson, she was professing, professor at CSU and the education department. And she was also very interested and heavily involved in um, the dyslexic community in Fort Collins. And so together we paired with um, CSU and we purchased the kit. Um, and so then we were offered to able, we were able to offer simulations for, com for the community and for any schools that were interested. We hosted some for our um our local chapter, right? Our CCI, our local chapter. And so the thing that's the most amazing is the conversation afterward. After you go through all of those exercises and you, you just, there, I mean, we put tissues on every table because, and you know, we also have parents. It's wonderful when we have parents to come. Um, so it's teachers and parents and any community member, member that's interested. And it, like I said before, the empathy that it builds for you as a teacher is career changing. I mean, I, you walk, you'll never look at your class again, the same, those individual kids, when you feel that struggle, it is, it's powerful. 
And I can totally relate because I actually went through it. Littleton had it a couple of years ago. And I just remember one exercise. We were taking a test or doing something that we're writing and I was trying to remember. And then the teacher kept interrupting because that was what they were supposed yes, yeah. to do. Like, you're doing a great job because that's what we think. Like, oh, we should say you're doing a great job. Keep it up. And all I could think about was stop talking. I can't concentrate. And I was like, right. oh, this is what we do when we, we're not trying to do anything wrong. We're trying to encourage kids, but it's actually distracting them. So that was like so yeah. opening to me with that. I remember one of the, um, the, the biggest impacts in that whole simulation was there was a, there's a station where um, you get a book and uh, the, the words are actually written in just like these crazy random symbols, like nothing that you or I would recognize. Right. And so um, the instructor for that station says, you know, she points to the first symbol and she's like, this says, ah, okay. The next one, this is a T and the next one's, you know, she, you know, very, very random. And then she says, okay, start reading. And you have, you have to go around Robin, around Robin style. Right. And you have to like, when it, and you're like, wait, what was that symbol? You can't remember what the, what the sound was for that new symbol. And so, and then I remember I was reading a word, you know, and it was a word, apparently, I don't remember this, but it, the word was apparently on the paragraph before. And I got to the word, of course, I didn't know it. And, and the instructor was like, you know, that word, you just read it. Don't you remember that word? in a very scolding way, like how dumb of you not to remember that word. And I, it was like, aha, how many times have I said that to a kid? You just read it. Why don't you remember? Oh my gosh. I've never uttered that since, but it was so powerful because these are the things that I said. I mean, up until that day, I said those things. So it's, it's, it's very moving and powerful experience. So you were both mentioning, you know, some of those little tweaks to practice that happens in terms of what you say to kids or how often you say things to kids. But next steps after, you know, hopefully every teacher gets an opportunity to try that so they can sit in their students' shoes and, you know, have that. I think we know as teachers, emotions are powerful for triggering your memory. So as a teacher, if you experience something and you have the emotions that go with it, that's probably going to be pretty impactful on the way you do things. So once these teachers, you know, once we've made them, you know, have a ton of empathy and feel terrible about all the little things they did that were really <laughs> annoying and obnoxious, yeah. what, are, what are some of their next steps? Like, where to next, Laura? Oh, my gosh. Well, um, for me... I, I consider it a journey, an absolute journey. And if you, it's so important to have a growth mindset because when you hear someone say that, and you know, that, that, why don't you remember that you just read it, you feel terrible. Right. And as a teacher, you feel terrible. So there with my journey. And I think in many conversations I've had with other teachers, there is a lot of guilt, guilt for the way that we have have talked to kids before with well-meaning. I mean, we would, none of us would ever, ever say anything hurtful to a child because that, I mean, that's why we're teachers, right? But I felt so guilty about just not knowing, not knowing better. And through this, so I, I really like to consider it a journey. And one of the first things that I heard was the, um, the reports by Emily Hanford. 
um, I think that, that they were 2017, 2018. Um, she um, she produced two or three pod, or I guess podcast uh, reports. And one of the things I remember in that um, was that she talked to a teacher who said just those things. It was like someone said what I needed to hear, but they said it out loud on a national platform. And I needed to hear another teacher say, I felt so bad, but now that I know better, I can do better. Right. And that for me set the stage of all right, I'm not going to dwell on the past and I'm going to move forward. And then I just started digging down every hole I could find, right? Like all these different avenues. Um, we started doing our local reading. Um, the, the local chapter in Fort Collins started doing book studies, um, speech to print book study by Louisa Motes. We did book studies um, from the David Kilpatrick, which is uh, his book really changed. For me, that was the game changer. Um, it's called Essentials of Assessing, Preventing, and Overcoming Reading Difficulties. So those two book studies, the Speech to Print and that Essentials book, were huge game changers in my journey. Um, letters training also is, is um, letters training, if you haven't had it, is amazing. It basically filled in for me everything that college left out, right? Because when I when college didn't teach me how to teach reading, um, I learned to teach from the manual and which is what a lot of us do. And that's changing now. And that's so powerful um, that colleges are changing their teacher prep programs. But um, if you are like me and you're not going to college anymore, right? And I mean, I would, those book studies um, and there, the thing about COVID, right? Is there's so many amazing free opportunities now. If you hop on those um, web pages and just do a simple search, I mean, I'm I'm overwhelmed by book studies now. Um, but Seidenberg has an amazing book called Language at the Speed of Light. Um, Kilpatrick also has a book called Equipped for Reading Success. All of those have been huge um, influences in my personal journey, and also getting us um, getting my school where where we currently are. And I love that you're talking about Fort Collins Council and the things that it's done for professional development, because that's the main purpose of CCIRA and using those local councils. So you guys took a creative idea with this dyslexia simulation and brought it in, but now doing book studies. And I know that everybody's so busy, but I do think, you know, with book studies, we're talking about councils don't need to go and meet. Right now you're sitting in your classroom. You could have a bunch of people that take 30 minutes out of their night right before they leave. Cause I know once you get home, you get busy with kids and family, but to take that book study and just have some collaboration, I think is huge for people to be able to bounce ideas off. So I love that you're bringing in those different things and that idea of a journey too is very cool. I love that too. And it, it this also reminds me, you know, you talked about when you kind of, switched to that literacy um interventionist position you kind of found your spark <laughs> and i know for me i refined my spark every time i dig into some cool learning as a teacher um you know that's that's how i keep up my excitement it's like oh i learned this cool thing i get to go apply and i'm going to be so much better at my craft <laughs> i'm going to help more kids and it's amazing and so i think sometimes you know 
as teachers, we think about the workload. And yes, there's work to being in a book study, but there's also the spark you get from talking to your peers, from learning something new, from being able to take that, are you doing microphone? That's something new to your students. Like, I mean, it's exciting to get to go take new awesome practices and help kids. Like that's why we're here. And so every time I can do that better, I get excited. So to me, that's a place that I find my spark as well. Definitely. I love the part you said when you do it together, like that for me is so much more motivating and powerful. Like when we take all these like the Kilpatrick and the Moats and Seidberg are all these amazing theories, uh, but not, you know, it's a lot of the why, which is so important to have that background knowledge. And then we sit together as, as teachers and professionals and we can transfer that to our practice. Practice That is, it's, I get really excited about that <laughs> collaboration, right? Yeah, that's awesome. And that's, I love seeing the excitement that you have. I know people are listening, so I'm sure they can hear the excitement in your voice too. So with that theme of journey, we are journeying now in Colorado to the science of reading. So can you tell us a little bit about that and maybe how your um, school is implementing science of reading and your thoughts on that? Sure. Um, I'm so excited to talk about my school and their progress because I, they, they, this is an amazing crew here and um, it hasn't been easy. It's, it's a lot of work, but it is so rewarding. And the kids are excited about the new learning and we have never been so aligned across grade levels. Um, it kind of started, um, a few years ago, we started learning, we started digging into phonological awareness and just unpacking that and what it means and, and how we can apply it in our, in our um, classrooms and in intervention and, you know, across the board. I mean, we were, you know, like we had lined the kids up for, to go to music or, or to go here, you know, down to intervention or whatever. And we'd be walking through the hallways saying, okay, you know, screaming out in the hallway, you know, what's the first sound in cat? All right, now let's take, you know, what's the last sound? And ch let's change the t to b, and what do you get? And so we're, we were squeezing it in in every way possible, right? And it's so fun because we, even in the last three years, um, our phonological awareness um, instruction has really developed. And we, we go so much deeper now, even in just in that one category. But, um, so we've kind of been dabbling in pieces and bits, but I think the thing that brought us um, really together was that we had this most amazing opportunity for, for our entire staff to take an Orton-Gillingham training together. And that provided us with the platform of all starting on the same page. And so um, we took the scope and sequence of all the phonemes and we sat together across grade levels and we mapped it all out and we decided, you know, who's taking what, you know, up to which phoneme and then second grade's going to move from here to here. Um, and we did the same thing with red words and we, you know, we have um, a red word routine that everybody's following the same three, you know, the same routine and everyone's following the three-part drill exactly the same. 
And so we took all those components of that Orton Gillingham training that we had and we, we met after the training. I remember we sat in the library um, pre-COVID and, <laughs> um, and we really decided some non-negotiables as, as a school, like all the way down to, are we going to call this vowel R, R control vowel, the bossy R? Cause they're, you know, previous to this, we all had different names for magic E and bossy E and, you know, the bully E, all, and even down to that. So we go with vowel R. That's, by the way, <laughs> what our school is, you know, it's the important part is that we, we are all using the same language. And to have that aligned across the grade levels is, is so impactful for the kids, you know, especially that need to hear, need to hear, you know, the kids that need to hear it 200 times versus six times. Um, so well, and I think I'm going to interrupt you real quick yeah. because I think that is the biggest issue with schools right now is that language. And yeah, I've heard magic-y and bossy-y and, and even different pronunciations of R when, you know, kindergarten uh-huh. yeah. R. So it was cool that you guys came together as a staff. And so there was staff input. It's not just, here's a program, you're gonna, we're gonna do it exactly like this, but it's giving staff buy-in and then it's, okay, now who's teaching this and who's teaching that? Because in my experience, that is the biggest thing, the scope and sequence is, well, they've had Magic E for four years now, but you're te- calling it different things. So maybe, especially those struggling readers aren't linking. Well, she called it Magic E. She called it Bossy E. And so right. I think it's different. So I think that's a really cool thing that you guys have done. Yeah. And they, and you know, we, we have now lived this Orton Gillingham um, piece for a year with Fidelity. And the year before that, we lived um, our uh, district adopted curriculum with Fidelity. And so now we're at the point where we can take um, the, the pieces that we know are working for our kids and for our staff as, as a team, as a school, and really um, draw from from those things. And we do it together. We make those decisions together so that, you know, we are all aligned. That's, I'm really excited for next year too, because we can do it without hopefully right remote, not remote and hybrid. And then um, to be able to have that opportunity. Well, and you're talking about not just blindly following a program, but really learning the program using the scope and sequence, but now bringing in that collaboration and really looking at kids to see what do these kids need. So we have this foundation that we're using, but now we're not just on our island thinking, well, I want to teach this because it's cool, but I want to collaborate with my colleague because I'm Mm -hmm. seeing this, this kid, and this is what we need to do because this part isn't working. So I love that you guys are bringing in that, you know, collaboration and educator responsibility of actually teaching kids too. We have done so much professional development around evidence-based reading instruction and uh, kudos to this crew, man. They, they put up with me and all my crazy videos. (laughs) Um, But they, it's just so, it's so, it's so motivating when you can do it together and like you said, that background knowledge is huge. So having our district offer letters a few years ago was, was a big game changer for us. 
Um, and one of the things that I'm really also very excited about is um, you guys have, I'm sure, have heard of the um, evidence-based reading instruction requirement from CDE. And our district, um, I think there's seven options um, that you can choose from. Uh, and our district offered, if you take the modules, the asynchronous modules, that you can also earn some, um, you know, some lane change renewal um, credits, which has been really wonderful that they have done that. Um, and so our school decided to do it in two cohorts. So one cohort of, of teachers was ready to like go. They were chomping at the bit to, you know, like, let's dive into this. And then the next court was like, you know, give me this, give me till the summer. And then I'll, you know, let's get through COVID year first, which is super legit. So um, we kind of have two pods of, of people going through it. And after each module, so there's um, seven modules. And after each one, we get together and we basically do transfer to practice. And we talk about the why, you know, the first one was, um, you know, just the background in science of reading and how, how, which of those pieces are we doing and which are we doing well? And like, again, like I said before, with that growth mindset, what, then we got the phonological awareness and dove into that. And the best part is getting together afterwards and really synthesizing the learning and figuring out how are we going to transfer it tomorrow to our kiddos. Um, and I'm, I'm super excited. One of our end products that we decided that, um, when we started this journey of the, those modules through CDE is that we want to come up with a school um, statement or um, it's evolving. So I can't <laughs> name it exactly, but um, almost like a, almost like a, like a sheet that explains this is how we teach reading at McGraw, both with the audience for parents to really help our, our families and our um, parents be partners in in this shift because it certainly wasn't the way I learned to read right and and I'm a parent at this school as well now um but also for new teachers coming on so to to be able to hand that to someone who hasn't been through any of this training um is important too to keep to keep that momentum moving so I'm really excited about that end product and um a couple schools, there was a school in um, Wyoming that's done this, and I think one in Indiana that has put this out before. And so there's some samples flying around. But it's really exciting that I see samples of this right from, from around the country that we're all moving towards this. We know better, we do better, right? Yes, absolutely. And speaking of doing better, so you talked about how, you know, you sit down and you say, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to take this? What are we going to do tomorrow? Could you give an example of something as your, you know, one of your little cohorts sat down and kind of brainstormed what they're going to do tomorrow? What's something that they came up with? Like, what's what's an example of something that you were like, all right, tomorrow we're going to go do this? Um, uh, something that I love that I've seen this crew do is they have to, they do a lot of that diagnostic assessment, right? So take, for example, some um, phonological awareness, right? They uh, will, that we have the past, right? Um, phonological assessment skills test. And so they'll, they'll use that and they'll immediately turn around that day, right? 
and they know right where to start. And so maybe for those who aren't familiar with that test, it, um, or I guess uh, assessment, um, it starts with assessing, there's several different versions and we have two that we use at um, in the Cooter School District. Um, one is it starts with concept of word, right? So how many words in the sentence, Joey likes pizza. Um, and if the kid says, right, it's Joey likes pizza, right? So then we teach the concept of the word. And so, and then it, and it gets, it goes from the largest unit in our language, this is words in a sentence all the way down, right through um, onset rhyme and syllables, and then down to phoneme level. And so you can pinpoint exactly where your instruction needs to start with that kiddo. Um, so we have talked a ton about that. And, and I have seen folks do that test and immediately you can put that into practice right there, right? You can, the next day, um, we've also adopted the um, Haggerty curriculum for tier one instruction across um, K2 and even for our preschool just grabbed a hold of that. So we're excited that, that those kidders are going to show up in kindergarten with, with some of those skills. Um, but that is so easy. I mean, I can, I can quickly assess a kiddo in here, you know, you can give them the whole assessment or you can give them just a quick dipstick, right? And then I immediately know, all right, this kiddo needs some work on phoneme isolation um, last last sound, right? So then I immediately get out my materials and my scaffolds and my chips and my Alconan boxes and I know right where to start. So that practice, I think, has been huge. It used to be here that that was something that the literacy teacher did, right? And now it is happening in tier one and I'm excited about it. And, um, you know, I just had a conversation with the first grade teacher and she was excited. You know, she knew right where to start it. It's so exciting <laughs> to see those small things go right into, you know, the very next day. I've used the past and given the past. And I think it's such a, it's nice because it's so quick because some of these other assessments are so long and laborious. And this is like, four or five things for each concept. So that's what I liked about that is it was just a quick little assessment to see where kids were. So I do recommend that if people don't know about it, definitely check it out. So I want to move to, there's a, there is controversy around the science of reading and it almost feels like we're back in the reading wars. And I think I was in first grade in Colorado when the reading wars were happening and it was whole language versus phonics. And I don't think anybody's advocating for whole language anymore, but I've heard people talk about, you know, well, we're not focusing on comprehension and we're not focusing on getting kids to love reading. So how are you guys addressing, because I'm sure you're not just teaching all phonics K-5. How do you encompass that comprehension and also just the love of reading and developing that with kids? Um, awesome question. Like I, I kind of commented before that for me, it's been a journey and I, and I was super lucky to come across that Emily Hanford, um, report early, early in my journey. And it, and it made me immediately adopt that growth mindset. Right. And the quote, um, when we know better, we do better. And that for me set the tone. And I try really hard to keep that in mind when I encounter people who are in different places in their journey. Um, I think 
Mar there's a gal, Margaret Goldberg. Um, she, I believe, is from California, and I think she has something called Read Matters, but I've heard her speak several times, and she addresses that journey, um, kind of the idea of, you know, gosh, we learned we learned to teach from from the reading curriculum that we were handed, right? When we walked into the classroom that very first year, that's how I thought I was supposed to teach reading. And if there was a problem, the interventionist or the special ed teacher was going to take care of it. It wasn't my job, right? And how crazy. I just, I just, I guess it's fun to think back that I know so much better now. Um, but adopting that growth mindset, I think is key. And speaking of the journey and the growth, thinking not so much about the teacher's journeys or maybe teachers who are at a different level who might need a journey. Um, and you might not have an answer to this, Laura, because you know, your, your expertise is where it is. But those kids who need supports and who are still growing as readers and, you know, struggling with challenges as they move up into, you know, middle school or those higher levels, what can, you know, what things do we as secondary teachers, you know, myself included, what are some things that we maybe need to explore or learn? Yeah, or awesome. Get better at to support those kids <laughs> as they continue the journey. So where do we need to start our journey? So uh, awesome question. The, the, the asynchronous modules, right, that the um, CDE is offering right now, one of the seven options, right, for the research-based um, literacy instruction, they address, um, I've heard people call like the five pillars, you know, you've got your phonological awareness and your phonics and then vocabulary and comprehension and fluency. And so, you know, traditionally, right, when they get to third grade, they switch over to, you know, reading they're, you know, fully independent reading, right? And so third, fourth, and fifth, we don't teach phonics or phonological awareness anymore. You know, we're now at the stage where we're doing comprehension and fluency, uh, which is false, right? Um, you can teach phonological awareness advanced all the way through fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Um, I mean, heck, I gave the, I gave our whole staff of phonological awareness uh, straight out of, uh, the Kilpatrick's equipped for reading success. We all put blindfolds on and I ran them through a bunch of drills and it was about half the staff, right. That was like tapped out halfway through when we got to the advanced section, me included, I'll put myself in that camp. But um, those, those phonics and those, that phonological awareness can go all the way through. Absolutely. And the kids love it. They have so much fun with it. But at the same time, that comprehension and the, and the, vocabulary need to start early too. Um, Natalie Wexler has a really great book. Um, and she talks about that, that comprehension and the background and vocabulary and how important those pieces are. Um, but Molly, your question is, you know, as an upper um, middle school teacher, that training through CDE is only required for kindergarten through third grade, but it is open to everyone. And the stat, the crew at our school, the fourth and fifth grade teachers have expressed a lot of interest in taking it as well, because that will help them fill in. Like when a kid shows up to fourth grade and they're struggling, 
you know, they've not just the same. They've not been told or taught in college or any other, you know, they've not had those opportunities unless they have recently sought them out. What do I do for this kiddo besides send him to the literacy teacher or, or the special ed teacher? So I have uh, that class, I would say is amazing. All those modules letters training is amazing. Um, that really fills in a lot of background. And there are tons of resources out there for morphology um, and, you know, though, like looking through and finding any, you just even Google it on, on Facebook these days, right? And find like a zillion free webinars. So I would say that those trainings help fill in the background of what, how did this seventh or eighth grader get to where he or she is right now? Like what holes I used to, when I talk to parents, sometimes I compare it to like a Jenga game, right? And if, if we, you know, if you pull the bottom, one of the bottom blocks out of a Jenga game, you can still keep going and putting blocks on till third grade. And then there's that, you know, proverbial third grade wall where they just hit that wall. Well, it happens to in fourth and fifth grade, they hit this wall and it's so much harder to fill those missing blocks in at the bottom once they get there. But how powerful would that be if, you know, Molly in seventh, are you seventh, you seventh grade? Uh, knew, like right away, wow, here comes the seventh grader who's still having trouble decoding multisyllabic words. But I know exactly why. It's because there's, you know, this kid is having trouble with advanced phonological awareness or they didn't have enough exposures to, you know, this phonics, you know, or whatever the issue may be when it was, when it could have happened in tier one. So I think that the really important part would be getting that background of why. I'd say that CD class is awesome. And search it up, as my kids say. They always tell me to search it up. So <laughs> search well, classes. I think that the misnomer is that middle school and high school teachers especially if you're an elective, you're not a language arts teacher, we're all reading teachers. So, you know, if you're teaching social studies, what are your kids doing most of the time? Reading social studies. And if they can't read and they can't access that text, then they're going to miss out on the content too. So I do think that's an important piece that we do need to continue to teach reading throughout in middle school, high school, and then, you know, help them with college too. That's oh my gosh. Yeah. And that brings in, that reminds me of audiobooks, right? I don't, I would love to know more. I, I can't imagine that that a COVID hasn't like um, spurred that for a lot of kids that they have more access to audio. That's awesome. They're nodding their heads. So I'm assuming, yes, that's, yeah. That's really powerful for kiddos that can access it because that brings in their, you know, grade level vocabulary that they can't access through print. Awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I think you probably know this about me, Laura, and I'm going to tell a little story on here. Um, and I was thinking of this as you were talking about just, you know, gaining that awareness as a secondary teacher of some of those things so we can recognize, you know, where a kid's struggles are and support some of those holes that might exist in their skills. Um, I got to go to one of Laura's council meetings a few years ago when she had Jan Rich Richardson there. And I mm -hmm. learned so much just about some of the early level instruction. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, every one of my colleagues who's a language arts teacher, because some of my colleagues, we have intervention classes at the middle school level, but my colleagues are not trained as interventionists. They don't have the not the background knowledge for something like this. So I'm ready to like run to my instructional coach and run to my principal and say, okay, I don't know how you want to like, you know, encourage this, but I think our staff could use some of this background knowledge. I think it would really, you know, support their reading instruction because I do have one colleague. She she originally taught like first and second grade and she's now a sixth grade teacher. Um, wow. One of the ladies who got me into CCIRA very early on, thank goodness uh -huh. for her. <laughs> uh, but she, I mean, she has her master's in reading. And so she's like the only person in our building who understands how this kind of stuff works. And the rest of us have no clue. Like myself, like I have, you know, I have a little background knowledge because I spend all my time dorking around at CCIRA. So I have probably a little more understanding than some, but you know, I could definitely go take those classes and have a better understanding that I can use to support my students. And, you know, I think if, if I can convince my colleagues that this empowers them to help their students, because I think that's, that's the beauty of it. All this knowledge, you know, you're so excited and you're like sharing 20 books here, Laura. And I'm just thinking, okay, I have a lot of reading to do. Ah. <laughs> It's just yes. stuff that empowers us. And again, for me, that's where I get the spark. I'm empowered to help my kids. That's what I'm here to do. And so, you know, it might not be, oh, gee, I'm not learning exactly what I need to do as a social studies teacher, but I'm going to empower some kids who maybe don't feel empowered right now as learners. And that kind of, you know, that's my bread and butter. <laughs> Kudos to you for, for jumping in there because that, I mean, it's like we were talking about before with that dyslexia simulation. It's that empathy, like how... If I can't imagine if you offered that to any teacher at any grade level, like here's an opportunity to sit in your kids' shoes, right? And feel what it feels like to, to be back in that class and struggling. Ah, oh, even as a middle or high school teacher, I can see that would be really motivating too. Right. So speaking of being empowered, Laura, what's something during your learning as a professional, and I think you've shared a lot of things, or someone, maybe at a CCIRA conference, who is maybe a hero to you or who has empowered you as an instructor to support your kids? Uh, I have a lot. Is that, um, I mean, I have about 30 kids I could name right now, you know, those kids, and you all had them in your class, that one kid who struggles and, and can't figure out and starts coming up with coping, right, strategies, whether it's behavior or being the class clown or whatever, being shy, sinking in, whatever their strategy is, those kids are my heroes, man. They, they really inspire me to try harder, right? And I have to, I have to give a shout out to my colleagues right now. They, they also are here with me. They're in the trenches, in the journey, and we're doing it together. And I, I feel also a little emotional, but really so thrilled to be working with them. Um, they inspire me to work harder. Uh, CCIRA has been amazing. I think that's where my journey started, right? This is my, when I first hopped into this 
you know, that part-time literacy role years ago. Um, and, and my friend Mary roped me in right to the local council, but it, that the, our local council has brought me, um, so much joy and so many benefits, um, as well as state level. The conference always is amazing. Um, and we were just talking before, and I remembered that I did get to meet Tim Rosinski, which was so fun. He did give me a book. It was, yeah, it's very exciting. <laughs> um, so he is our, he's my fluency guy for sure. Um, I have so many heroes. In fact, one of my very favorite questions, one of my colleagues, Caitlin, Jeremy just texted me the other night and she said, give me your top five big names that you just love, right? In like the science of reading and reading instruction. And I couldn't limit it to five. It was so fun, but we had the best discussion going back and forth about who was most influential, you know, in our own journeys. So, I mean, Kilpatrick and Moats, Seidenberg, um, Marty Ginsburg has a website called Reading Simplified. She's amazing. Um, Stanislas, right? Um, Denhi, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Linnea Airy. Oh my gosh, so many great names. But back to CCRA, I feel like um, being able to hop on with CCRA and our local Fort Collins Council early on in my Fort Collins career, um, I think was instrumental. And the benefits of networking, I remember one of my very first conferences, we had like a, I don't know, we rented a suite or something and we had like a local, like our, our local council hosted a breakfast or something. It was really fun. And Laura Robb was there and that was kind of cool. Um, and a little bit awkward because I was kind of like the new kid on the block and I walked in really didn't know anybody, but I met so many people. I've met so many people at state level now and, um, and locally as well. Like the networking locally has been amazing. I think I know, you know, the literacy teacher at every school now, just because we've done so much with the Fort Collins local council. So, and the grants, I have to mention the grants, they have been so awesome. Um, the teacher's reader grant has been huge. That, that grant alone has helped us fund a loaning library. It's kind of similar to the um, little free libraries, right? But ours is kind of just housed in my classroom and you just send me a little email. We have a Google form, right? That you fill out if you want any of the titles and I just zip it over to you in district mail. And so that grant has a, been um, funding our, it's all professional books. And so Lots of teachers have been accessing those, but um, I even, I got the Thelma Pet Award several years ago when I was getting my master's. So that was, that was awesome too. So I, I owe a great deal of gratitude for, to state level, right? For all those amazing financial opportunities as well to further my learning and career. Nice. Well, Laura, thank you so much. I have learned a lot and we have a lot of resources to share with people. And I just love your passion and your enthusiasm and your dedication to continuous professional learning and also to help CCIRA move along and provide some different professional development for us. So thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to ccira.org. On ccira.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. 
CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. We also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading. You can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. Or you can find us on Facebook, where we also have a members-only group that we're trying to build. And our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. We'd love to hear more from you. And again, if you're looking for new content, please send any questions or things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to CCIRAvideo at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.